Good afternoon. Welcome to the penultimate talk in series five of the Geometry of Reality series for the Ibn Arabi Society. We are very pleased to welcome Carlos Berbil. Carlos Berbil was the first secretary and one of the founding members of Mias Latina in 2011 which was Mies España back in those days. He has recently defended his PhD thesis at the University of Granada, Spain, about the Andalusi-born mystic Ibn Sabain, under the guidance of Dr. Pablo Beneito and Dr. Maria Dolores Rodriguez. Thanks to the results obtained for his thesis, he's been awarded the 2020 edition of the Young Researchers Prize from the Spanish Society for Arabic Studies. He has performed research stays at Al-Hikma Institute in Qom and Al-Azhar University in Cairo, and lately at the Alexander von Humboldt Kellogg for Islamicate Intellectual History at the University of Bonn, Germany. Carlos's title is A Fresh Look at Ibn Sabain, The Circular Scale of Transcendence and Mediation. The floor is yours, Carlos. Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, Richard, for the, this introduction. And thank you also, and thanks to Stephen Hilterstein for the invitation to participate in, in this wonderful uh, series of talks with this uh, great group of experts. The topic of this talk is uh, Andalusi-born mystic and philosopher Ibn Sabain, who was a relevant author of the 13th century, as well as one of the most prolific Andalusi authors by number of works produced. We might mention as a starting point that uh, William Chittick considered him to be perhaps the earliest author to use the term to designate a distinct doctrinal position. In his epistles, he says, for example, that common people are dominated by multiplicity, while the elect ulama are dominated by the root, which is Wahdat al-Wujud. Ibn Sabain was then one of the authors who developed what has been called philosophical Sufism in the 13th century. If we are to situate the beginning of philosophical Sufism in Al-Andalus with Ibn Masarra, and it's Ibn Arabi, then Ibn Sabain would be its last Andalusi-born representative, since as far as I know, there were no other authors after him in Al-Andalus who engaged in mysticism in this particular manner. The main focus of this talk will be one of the parts of my recently defended PhD thesis at the University of Granada in Spain, which is the presentation of an unpublished work by Ibn Sabain that I have fully edited. Its title is Darjul Fadail wa Darajul Wasail, which we have translated as the cycle of virtues and the scale of mediations. One of the points of interest of this work is that he wrote it less than three years before his death, 
while his other work comparable in length and complexity, Buddhul Arif, the Gnostic's object of worship, was written more than 20 years before. While Buddhul Arif has a particularly philosophical focus, we will see that the work presented here covers a wider range of topics and registers, something that we could consider a sign of the maturation of his thought. So, in order to build a frame in which to situate the work that will be presented, I would like to go through a brief biography of Ibn Sabain. Born in the Ricote Valley, northwest of the city of Murcia in Al-Andalus, in 1216 or 1217. Biographers don't agree when it comes to his year of birth, and the same happens with his year of death. His grandfather, as well as his father and brother, seem to be influential, well-positioned people in society as members of the Almohad administration. Ibn Sabain's youth nevertheless took place during the decline of Almohad power in Al-Andalus. For instance, that in 1228, the Emir Ibn Hud initiated precisely in Ricote a rebellion against the Almohad governor of Murcia. Ibn Hud's rule went on until he was murdered in 1238, and not long after, in 1243, the Islamic Emirate of Murcia, Murcia surrendered to the crown of Castile. left Murcia, Murcia in 1237 or 38 after the death of Ibn Hud, so he must have been around 20 years old. Regarding his initiation in Sufism, it is not clear who were his direct masters, since those mentioned by the biographers died before his birth, Ibn al-Mar'a, al-Buni, and al-Hurani or al-Harrani. It can be said that there were two main periods in Ibn Sabain's adult life, the Maghribi period and the Meccan period, with a brief intermission in Egypt. The Maghribi period goes roughly from the time he was 21 years old until he was 37. After spending a short time in Granada, he settled in Septa, just across the Gibraltar Strait, where he married and wrote his first two works. The best known is the Sicilian questions. His alleged responses to some of the philosophical questions that Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II sent to diverse places of the Islamic world. The other one is what we could consider his foundational work, Buddhul Arif, the Gnostic's object of worship where he presents in detail his mystical doctrines imbued with philosophical language. After finishing this second work, Ibn Sabain started having trouble with some jurists who saw a heresy in his complex formulation of absolute being. Nevertheless, he still lived for a few years in Badis, by then a town in, nor in the North African coast, as well as in Bijaya, where he met his disciple Abul Hassan al-Shushtari in 1248. No later than 1253, Ibn Sabain headed towards Egypt with his companions, but apparently the conflicts surrounding his doctrines continued and he soon left for Mecca. 
where he gained the favor of the governor Abu Numay. And according to some biographers, he became a relevant figure for the North African community who lived there until his death in 1271, when he was approximately 55 years old. The work to be presented here is only preserved in a single manuscript. Regarding its state of preservation, it is quite good, except that it is incomplete. Between folio 130 and 131, there is a clear interruption of the text. Likewise, the border of folio 131 is quite irregular, which might indicate that several folia were torn from the binding at some point. It is worth mentioning that this folio contains the colophon of the manuscript, thanks to which we preserve precious information about its production. The colophon contains the name of the scribe, as well as the name of the person who dictated the copy, and it is stated that the copying process finished on Sunday, the 4th of Rabiaul Awal, year 784 Hijri, corresponding to 1380 Common Era. The manuscript was produced in Khanikatu Salahiya in Cairo, also known as Saidu Suada, the first institution of its kind in Egypt, founded by Saladin in 1173, as a place of residence and education of Sufis sponsored by the government. It is added that the manuscript was produced from a copy that contained annotations in the hand of the author, and this copy had in turn been checked against three other ones. The abundant annotations on the margins offering corrections and alternatives bear testimony to that. Regarding the mentioned Hanukkah, an interesting fact is that the sheikh who directed it for a few years, starting in 1286, Shamsuddin al-Aiki, befriended Ibn Sabain's son-in-law and nephew, Afifuddin al-Tilimsani. Considering all these facts, we can appreciate that this manuscript was produced more than a century after the death of Ibn Sabain in an important religious institution in Cairo which shows that his teachings were alive and remembered in this particular environment. I would like to introduce now the general features of the work. It is structured as a comment on divine unity and the prophecy of Muhammad, the two elements of the Islamic declaration of faith. The commentary stems from two verses of Quran one of them cited completely, while the other one only partially. Unity and prophecy are treated in the work as the first word and the second word. The full wording of the title states that the work contains the two words of divine signs, Kalimata Dalail, as well as it indicates that the topic covered is the knowledge of the supreme name of God. The introduction already shows that primeval monotheism, Dinul Hanifiya, is one of its fundamental references, and indeed several pre-Islamic sages and prophets are mentioned and very well considered, which is a known aspect of Ibn Sabayin's doctrines. To sum up, the work is considered a compilation of signs, contents, 
meanings, guides, models, or divine demonstrations according to the array of meanings that can be attributed to the word Dala'il. The work shows great interest for linguistic matters, both grammatical and lexicographic, which makes sense considering that it is fundamentally a hermeneutic work with two Quranic verses as a basis. This linguistic focus is complemented with encyclopedic sections, like the one about religious communities and creeds, as well as those that compile or comment diverse Quranic verses, hadiths, proverbs from sages and prophets, etc. Underlying this is an abundant presence of numerological or arithmosophical allusions through the abjad system in its Eastern version more specifically. I am currently developing research on the arithmosophical allusions of this work with Dr. Paolo Veneto, and we are, we are planning to publish soon an article on the topic. It is worth noting that number seven, as a symbol of plenitude and completion of a cycle, is the most important numerical reference found in this work. Not surprisingly, given that Ibn Sabain means the son of 70. The full wording of the title is then the cycle of virtues and the scale of mediations, comprising the two words of evidence, the most excellent questions, and the best communicated messages, considering the knowledge of the supreme name of God most great, who will give when asked upon it, and will answer when pleaded with it. The, this title contains several pairs of words that can be related in multi multiple ways, something that creates a frame of reference for the interpretation of the work. The vocalization of the Darj and Daraj in the title is actually unstable through the work, which might mean that the terms are actually interchangeable something that would fit with the multiple interpretations that many of these are open up to, as we will see. Starting with Fada'il, Fadl is an excess, which in this context would lead us to the emanation worldview. The divine virtues overflow or emanate. This way they become latent in the divine names, which in turn manifest themselves through the mediations, the wasail. This way, Darjul Fada'il, the cycle of virtues, would represent Tanzil, the descending inspiration of divinity towards its manifestation. In other words, Darjul Fada'il would represent the dimension of Wahidiyya, differentiated unity, the rendering of hidden latent virtues, divine names, in the human realm. On the other hand, Darajul Wasail, the scale of mediations, would represent Tahqiq, the ascending purification from the manifest towards divinity. It would then perhaps correspond to the dimension of Rahmaniya or Rububiya, since the names would be manifest in the mediations, particularly the message of the Prophet Muhammad. 
in a tentative approach to the, define this title in geometrical terms, the upper plane could be Darjul Fadail, while the vertical dimension giving access to that plane could be Darjul Wasail. In this slide, you can see on the left-hand side the terms of the title that could point to the realm of unity, while on the right, those that could point to the realm of mediation. So virtues and mediations, first word and second word, the questions and the messages, God and his supreme name, to ask and to plead, the intellect and the transmission. Like I said, I believe that most of the terms are interchangeable so that many of those on the left column could also represent mediation while many of those on the right could represent a direct connection to unity. Here we can also appreciate the ambivalence of human intellect both as a direct connection to God as the first intellect and as a mediation through reason. What follows after the title and the authorship claim is an opening discourse, Chotwa. The first part extends the subtitle, listing more qualities of this cycle or scale, while the second quotes to the two main Quranic verses of reference for the work that we showed before. The author also says that he is considering the equivalent of these Quranic verses. The final part of the khutbah states the two purposes of the work. The first one is to be shown to the virtuous, al-fadil, who brings together the revealed law, sharia, and the truth, haqiqa. And the second purpose is for it to be shown to the people, al-kafta, because, he says, the reason for its production is to wake up the pure souls, this double purpose might take us to a scenario where we would find Ibn Sabain in Mecca after being established there for more than 10 years and with a certain reputation which would have allowed him to teach his doctrines and take disciples, such as the original scribe of the work, cited farther ahead. After this, there is a very noteworthy poem, the only known example so far of poetry preserved in one of the works of the author. It presents the basic features of belief in a single God of creation, in contrast with the materialists who consider nature a being in itself, and with the pantheists who do not distinguish between creator and creation all of it without mentioning any specifically Islamic terms. Furthermore, the rhyme in Ain potentially alludes to the being as in Al-Ain al-Wahida, as well as to the author himself, since the numerical value of letter Ain is 70. The last part of the introductory section is the exposition of the terms and their implications. As we have said before, the verse considered the first word is, and your God is a single God. There is no God but he, the compassionate, the merciful. And it represents divine unity. 
This verse is divided here in four terms, Mufradat, which form a chapter each one. After this, there is a global consideration of the whole verse, which closes the first part of the work. Then comes the second word. Muhammad is the messenger of God and those who are with him. A verse quoted only partially, which is very significant, because of the implication that those who are with him would participate in his message. Like I have said before, the manuscript is incomplete, and it is during this chapter that the interruption happens. Finally, there should be a conclusion to the treatise. In all, not counting the introductory sections that we have discussed until now, there are seven chapters. I would like to draw attention now to the recognition that Ibn Sabain gives to Ibn Arabi in this work, although in a veiled manner. The first chapter of the work, dealing with the words and your God, features a personalized summary of the work authored by Tajuddin al-Shahrastani about religious communities and creeds, Nihal wa Milal, one of the sections is about the philosophers of Islam, Falasifatul Islam. It starts attributing to Islam wisdom, hikmah, and realization, tahqiq. It then indicates that this realization can only be attained by someone who has a series of attributes. Here marked in orange, seven in total. In the Abjad Eastern minor system, the combined value of these words is 196, which can be reduced to 7. 196 is also the value of the name of Ibn Sabain, the way it is cited in the front page of the work. Qutbuddin Abu Muhammad Abdul Haq ibn Ibrahim ibn Muhammad ibn Nasr ibn Sabain al-Ghafiqi. Nevertheless, when we look closely at this paragraph, we can find three allusions to Ibn Arabi, part of his name and two of the expressions most frequently used to refer to him. Firstly, it is said that the end is a metonymy to name this person who brings together these seven attributes of realization. Indeed, Ibn Arabi was known as the seal of the saints, Khatamul Walayah. We then find part of his name according to the chain that Al-Dahabi shows in his History of Islam, Tarikhul Islam. It is most probably a symbolic selection of the names Muhammad and Ali as prototypes of virtue in Islam. Furthermore, in the Abjad Eastern Major system, the value of this name is 560, which is Ibn Arabi's year of birth. Finally, we see that he is referred to with the word, and I cite, 70 inasmuch as mastery and eloquence are visible in him since this is a quantity that Arabs used to express the exaggeration of abundance, al-mubalagatu li 
The fact that Ibn Sabayin associates this person with number 70 and that he mentions the Semitic tradition of using this number as a symbol of abundance and exaggeration can be taken as a reference to the expression the greatest master, as Sheikh Al-Akbar, which was widespread among Ibn Arabi's followers and admirers. The reference is reinforced by the fact that the numerical value of Sheikh Al-Akbar is seven. Additionally, if number 70 represents Ibn Arabi, then the name Ibn Sabain, the son of 70, becomes a self-declaration of spiritual affiliation. It is also worth noting that Ibn Arabi appears in the chain of initiation of the Tariqa Sabainiya offered by Ibn Sabain's disciple Abu Hassan al-Shushtari in his Qasida Nuniya. Through these calculations and other ones that we will now summarize, we believe that Ibn Sabain consciously and methodically uses the abjad system in this work. This is never openly revealed since Aritmosophy is, just like in Ibn Arabi's work, an esoterical background of allusions reserved for those initiated in the hermeneutic science of numbers. It is very likely as well that the people who produced the manuscripts were acquainted with Abjad Arithmosophy, considering the exactitude with which they reproduced certain names and allusive passages of text. The work is presented as a cycle and a scale, Darj, Daraj, or perhaps a double cycle or a double scale, which consists of virtues and mediations, as we have said. When we analyze the full wording of the title, we can see that the virtues take us to a realm of divine unity and inspiration, while the mediations are precisely linking to the divine unity. Well, the most important numerical reference in the work is seven, symbol of abundance, plenitude, and completion of a cycle, and it is closely followed by 11, which can be reduced to two, and it can be therefore taken it can be therefore taken as a symbol for the mirror of unity, the world of duality, creation and mediation. We can find like this an additional layer of depth in the way that Ibn Sabain expresses his doctrines in this work. We might as well consider the emphasis that he generally places in absolute being, al-wujudul mutlaq, so that any element of the world only has entity as a creative mediation. It is possible, therefore, to explore the numerical correspondences of the work from this global perspective. For example, the cycle of virtues, Darjul Fada'il, which would refer to the realm of unity, has a value of seven. The two terms of the title together, Darjul Fada'il wa Darajul Wasail, which include the realm of unity as well as the realm of mediation, also has a value of seven. The first purpose of the work, as announced in its introductory discourse, is to be shown to the virtues 
who brings together the revealed law, Sharia, and the truth, Hakika. The numerical value of Hakika is seven, as well as the value of Sharia and Hakika together. We see, therefore, that both in the title of the work, as well as in the formulation of its first purpose, both of these can be interpreted in terms of an inclusion of the realm of mediation into that of unity. It is also worth noting that the Shahada, with both its parts that refer respectively to unity and prophecy or mediation, is composed of seven words and their numerical value is also seven. These two realms are therefore essentially connected and their references intertwine. Seven is like we already said, the value of the full name of Ibn Arabi, the way it appears in the front page. But the value of Ibn Sabain alone is 11. The Quranic verse 263, which makes up the first word and represents divine unity, has a total of 11 words and a value of seven. The second word, that peculiar choice of words from the verse 4829, refers to the realm of mediation, saying that Muhammad is the messenger of God and those who are with him. It is composed of seven words with a value of seven. Finally, we might as well mention again that the work contains seven chapters and it contains a single poem by the author with seven verses rhyming in Ain, which has a value of 70. The section about the philosophers of Islam announces seven virtues necessary to reach the verification and wisdom that Islam is defined with. It is also announced elsewhere in the work that it was composed in front of the Kaaba, a word once more of value seven. We can notice this way how Ibn Sabain presents the realm of creation in the general frame of unity, and that the Quran is the scriptural foundation of his worldview. We can understand like this how he introduces the diversity of beliefs in his section about religious communities and creeds. Indeed, he says all of them exist in God and for his cause, we could then understand that each of them has or has had a function, presumably as mediations of their respective communities with the only being, while the Muhammadan community, Al-Millatul Muhammadiyah, which he also mentions, would represent the most complete realization of this mediation in the form of Islam as a unifying tradition of the knowledge of being. From this perspective, we can appreciate Ibn Sabain as an author specifically committed to the sources of, of Islam and coherent with the intellectual and religious environments where he lived, which in my opinion, neutralizes to a great extent the heretic accusations thrown against him by several authors and biographers over time. In summary, 
we can appreciate in this work that even though Ibn Sabain is known for his emphasis in absolute unity, he also considers the realm of creation and mediation. Finally, it is convenient to estimate how we could understand the consideration of Ibn Sabain regarding Ibn Arabi in the light of the discoveries presented here. This spiritual filiation might seem surprising at first, since Ibn Sabain situates Ibn Arabi at the very center of the Islamic tradition of mystical initiation and might therefore be declaring himself as his disciple. It is known that Ibn Sabain criticizes in his works great figures of Islamic thought like Al-Farabi, Ibn Sina, Al-Ghazali, and Ibn Rushd, while he affirms his own spiritual mastery. Nevertheless, he never criticizes Ibn Arabi. In fact, he does not seem to cite his texts at all. Neither makes he reference to his thought or uses or develops his terminology like other authors do who clearly follow the Akbari tradition. In conclusion, Ibn Sabain's oeuvre is clearly distinct from that of Ibn Arabi from several perspectives, be them stylistic, referential, or metaphysical. We might hypothesize, therefore, that when Ibn Sabain situates Ibn Arabi as a pole of the Islamic mystical tradition, he is not considering himself a disciple and follower, but a heir of his spiritual function as a pole. His oeuvre can then be understood as new, creative and independent, although essentially linked to the inspiration and intention of Ibn Arabi's teachings. Two renowned poets who were followers of Ibn Sabain, Abu Hassan al-Shushtari and Afifuddin al-Tilimsani, had contact with masters from the Akbari tradition, but this did not change their attribution to the singularity of the Sabaini teachings, which is preserved in their writings. There seem to be grounds to speak, as it is frequent, of an Akbari school of Theophanism and a Sabaini school of absolute unity. Nevertheless, it is convenient to see these schools or trends not as fundamentally different, but only varying in the emphasis of their discourse. Ibn Arabi would then represent a particular focus in the realm of wahidiyya or differentiated unity, while Ibn Sabain would represent a focus in the realm of ahadiyya or undifferentiated unity. Thank you very much for your attention and I look forward to your feedback and questions.